You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. They are despised around the country and it's going to last forever. They can win as many trophies as they want. They can play as good football as they want. But they will never be respected as much as a Bayern Munich or a Borussia Dortmund or a Bayern Leverkusen. We've seen players like Tyler Adams go from New York to Leipzig and they've adapted almost seamlessly. We've seen about 20-odd transfers from Salzburg to Leipzig and they adapt pretty easily. And we've seen Jesse Marsh, who's coached uh, three different Red Bull clubs in New York and Salzburg and, and assistant to Leipzig. And he's adapted easily at, at all three of them because of that firm playing philosophy that's instilled in all the players and his staff. When Ralph Rennig arrived, he not only brought in a firm football philosophy, he also brought in a firm business philosophy for the long term, the three Cs, which is capital, concept and competence. Hi there, welcome to Sports Content Strategy. My name is Richard Clark. Now, the development of football groups is a relatively recent and controversial phenomenon. Perhaps the pioneer is City Football Group, which started with the acquisition of Manchester City and has since bought significant stakes in clubs in the US, Australia, India, Japan, Spain, Uruguay, China, Belgium and even Japan. The Red Bull Group has been constructed in an entirely different way, with the energy drink company taking over teams in Salzburg, New York, Brazil, Ghana, and most controversially Leipzig between 2005 and 2010. And this came after forays in F1 and extreme sports where they made their name. Both groups have been criticized for throwing money at footballing success, but the Red Bull clubs are often called a marketing exercise and labeled with one of the most damning words in the supporters lexicon, plastic. Last year, Karen Tejwani, published Wings of Change, how the world's biggest energy drink manufacturer made a mark in football. In this podcast, we discuss the business, the meaning, and the lessons behind Red Bull's football story. As I said, my name is Richard Clark. I'm a consultant in sports digital, social media, communications, digital marketing. So if you need anyone in that area, let me know. Contact me via my website, mrrichardclark.com. That's where you can sign up to my newsletter and you can sign up to me on social as well. My name is Mr. Richard Clark. On all social, sports content strategy is out there on the likes of Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can also find the back catalogue of sports content strategy podcasts on my website. Recently, I've talked about British Speedway, ESPN Sports Poll, communication strategy for a J-League club. And of course, I've spoken to my stats man, Mario Leo. So they're just the last four podcasts, but there's another 70-odd along with those. But anyway, enough of the adverts. Let's talk about energy drinks, football, and getting wings with this man. Right, so uh, I'm Karan. I'm a football freelance journalist for now. I'm also a trainee student, a trainee journalist at at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston. Um, I've been writing about football for the last five and a bit years. Um, And um, in in that time, I've featured on websites like these Football Times, The Guardian, Sport360, yeah, in 2020, I decided to write my first book called Wings of Change, which was on Red Bull's football um, dynasty or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that's that's it. The sports is my, it is my ultimate passion. So, yeah. Thanks for speaking to me today. The Red Bull story, it's kind of a product of modern football, isn't it? The Red Bull story, what they've done and why they've done it. So just go back into it. How did their involvement in football start? Because they're an energy drink. They'd done a lot of extreme sports. They'd done F1. I get that. That fits with the concept of an energy drink. Football didn't quite have that immediate synergy. Obviously, it's the world's game, but it didn't have the immediate synergy. So why did they get into football? Well, it is, as you say, the world's game and it's a global game. It's the most popular sport in the world. And Dietrich Mateschitz himself had, the, the founder of Red Bull, Dietrich, the co-founder of Red Bull, sorry, uh, Dietrich Mateschitz had a bit of interest in the sport as, uh, himself and he wanted to see a Red Bull-backed club um, going right to the top uh, at some point in, in some country. Um, and it came naturally to him that he'd start off with his local club in Salzburg, with Red Bull Salzburg. As you said before, he is a sporting enthusiast. He had worked in extreme sports and F1 right from the 80s and 90s. Um, and he's still doing it to this day, and so are Red Bull. Um, but Salzburg was the natural choice because Red Bull are a Salzburg company and Dietrich, Dietrich Manischitz is a Salzburg man. Um, you know, they, they're based in Salzburg, they're headquartered in Salzburg, and it only felt right that they take over their, nas- their, their local team, make them as, as good as they can be. And it, it took a bit of hustle and bustle, and they had a few years of struggle at, at the start, but in time it became the streamlined, uh, refined project that we know it is today. So... 
it, it was a combination of multiple factors for, for Red Bull and for Mateschitz, namely being his local side, number two being his passion for football and his passion for sport, and number three being the desire to succeed in, in multiple fields. And he, he conquered the energy drink market. He conquered lots of extreme sports and football felt like the right avenue to go through. So that explains Red Bull Salzburg, but he's gone on. There's New York Red Bulls, there's Red Bull Brazil, there's a team in Ghana, and of course, Red Bull Leipzig. So why did he go further than Salzburg and what determined where he's gone? New York was... Uh, there's always this theory that they choose clubs where Red Bull is selling well. And the New York project was perhaps evident of that because Red Bull was so popular in America and in, in New York. And coincidentally, that came at a time where football was also becoming more popular in, in America. You know, they had the 94 World Cup. MLS was born in 96. And 10 years later, Red Bull, uh, they took over the New York Red Bulls. So it was a combination of football becoming increasingly popular in the States as well as uh, Red Bull doing extremely well. I think they were selling about 300 million cans a year in, in Red Bull at the time, in New York, sorry, at the time um, when when Red Bull came to the New York Red Bulls. Um, so it was a combination of both the football improving and Red Bull doing extremely well. Uh, in, in Germany, he had the Germany, German football was Dietrich Maschitz's passion. He wanted to see uh, a German team backed by Red Bull going to the very top and he still wants to see it. He once said in an interview not too very long ago that he wanted to see RB Leipzig win the Bundesliga title by the time he turns 80. So um, I think he has about five or six years left on that. Um, but but German football was his passion. So it was more of a passion project for him and he knew how difficult it was to get into German football because of the complications in ownership and uh, you know membership and all that. But he found a way around it now. In Ghana, it was a bit of a failed project because they didn't have the right people in charge. In Brazil, obviously, football is the ultimate sport. When you think of football, you think of Brazil. So it only seemed right. And once again, the theory of Red Bull doing extremely well in Brazil uh, was supported because they bought a club in Brazil as soon as Red Bull was becoming popular in Brazil. So you know, it, it was a bit of uh, marketing the energy drink as well as football ambition. So. Yeah, in most countries, even in even in India right now, last year in 2023, months ago or so, uh, they started a partnership in India with an Indian club uh, called FC Goa. And coincidentally, for the last two years, the biggest seller or the biggest buyer of Red Bull energy drinks is India. So, um, you know, they are doing extremely well. Uh, they are buying clubs in, in countries where Red Bull are doing extremely well. So it's, it's a bit of a combination of football and marketing purposes. Yeah, because that's always the criticism, isn't it? This is a marketing uh, a direct marketing play. The interest yep. in football is not there. It's just about selling drinks. And even though we've had, going back into the history of English football, you know, West Ham are called the Irons because of the factory that they were linked to. There are so many stories in English football of business owners, industrialists, who started football clubs, um, partly to entertain and keep their workers, partly to get a little bit more money back from their workers in their spare yes. time. So that link has always been there. Is the criticism of it's all about marketing fair? Because you've said it's very much a blend. I think it is. I think that when Red Bull do what they do, they do it in a much more uh, different and a much more brash way. All the clubs they took over, they they were happy to change their colors, change their crests. You know, you've seen all their crests. It's all very identical. It's got two bulls on it, or in Leipzig's case, it's got one bull. Um, but they've all got bulls on it. They've all got um, the same white and red kits with a hint of yellow around it. Uh, they've all got the same sponsors, or mostly the same sponsors. They've got they are they're happy to trade players and trade managers around. So the criticism of it comes where people feel they have all, all four of these clubs have an unfair advantage because they can strengthen or weaken their teams at ease and they can do it with much more uh, freedom than other clubs. You know, they have the financial backing on its own, which is massive. You know, if you look at countries, if you look at the teams in Austria and Brazil, they have a massive financial advantage and they can spend money like, like no other, like not many clubs can uh, in their respective countries. But when you add to that with the freedom of trading players between the four clubs, they've had 35 transfers between them since 2005 so you could say it's an average of about two or three players a year. 
where they're happy to trade between clubs. And there's some really good players who, who come around, you know, players who can win league titles or win, win cups. So from a footballing side, I can see why it's it's so hated. And personally, I don't endorse it myself. It's very unfair advantages that these clubs have. Um, but on the flip side, Red Bull do often say that they, they don't give, they don't force players, uh, force players or managers to move to particular clubs, that they give players the freedom of choice. Um, which to an extent I believe is true. Um, I'm inclined to believe that to an extent they have given these players a freedom. They have allowed players to move around to other clubs, not in the Red Bull family. Um, but but yeah, to answer the question, I, I, I do understand the criticism of what they do and most mostly I do support it. I want to go into in a bit the way they work together and the playing side. So I just want to go back into the RB Leipzig story because that's really where this criticism has come into focus I mean I'm aware of it with the change from the Metro Stars to New York Red Bulls I'm aware of that MLS was in a difficult phase at that time it needed it needed uh, new investment I, but, 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 while there's criticism about that one the biggest criticism with regard to the Red Bull football experiment and I'm going to use that phrase again is RB Leipzig so for people who don't know why is it so controversial? RB Leipzig is hated because of their um, how how they circumvented the fifty plus one rule. Um, now the fifty plus one rule is perhaps the most sacred rule in German football. If you if you find a way around it, if you break it, you will get scrutinized, and you're inviting the hate on yourself. And RB Leipzig did find a way to find a way around did find a way to go around it because <clears throat> now in German football, clubs have members and they're owned by members. They don't have one off owners. Um, and RB Leipzig, although they didn't break the 50 plus one rule, they did find a way around it by having just 19 members. And those 19 members are either Red Bull employees or ex-Red Bull employees or somehow connected to Red Bull. Whereas other German clubs are have fans as members, you know, regular match-going fans. So while they haven't broken the rule, they have found a way around it in a very dodgy way and in a very commercialized way, which is not the way German football goes. German football is always about the fans. It's always about... Uh, giving fan voices. So when RB Leipzig found a way around it, there was a lot of disappointment, a lot of hatred going towards them and they felt they had a very unorganic rise and they spent about 150 odd million euros to go from the fifth division to the first division, which is the kind of money that no other club in those tiers has. So because of the, they, the way they spent money so freely, because of the people they've bought on board, because of the way they found a way around the rules, they are despised around the country and it's going to last forever. They can win as many trophies as they want. They can win as many, uh, they can play as good football as they want, but they will never never be respected as much as a Bayern Munich or a Borussia Dortmund or a Bayer Leverkusen. So yeah, that, that is ultimately what it is. They found a way to silence fans and find a way around the rules, which which didn't go down very well. And the name itself, yeah, which is a, a And the name itself, yeah. Yeah, German football customs don't allow uh, commercialized names, so they found a play of words in German. So, Rasen Ballsport, they found the initials being RB, which also reminds you of Red Bull. So, finding a way around the name itself was was a very disliked way. So, a lot of what they do is very much despised. The reaction from fans has been extreme in Germany, and it would be the same in England. The fans would sing songs and the German fans sing, you know, all bulls are pigs and things like that. But it seems to have taken an extra turn in Germany, chasing the bus, uh, throwing a severed bull's head on the pitch. It seems to have not only been extremely strong, but kept that intensity. And I'm not sure any other country around the world would have kept that intensity. Um, as a as a football journalist, do you agree with me there? And if so, why? How has it kept that intensity? Is it, as you said before, the special feeling about German football that it's especially linked with the fans in terms of ownership? Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't think that any other top European country. I'm, I'm not sure about you know the Eastern Europeans. I think that there would be something in Eastern Europe, but amongst the top leagues, amongst the top five leagues, as the saying goes. I don't think there'd be that much intensity and that much disregard for what RB Leipzig do. You know, I think it'd be more generally accepted. We've seen it in England with City and, and Chelsea and in France with PSG, where these foreign owners who have a, a little more, a little bit of a dodgy history, uh, they're more free to come in and invest in clubs and you know do what they do. But in Germany, if 
that's never going to happen in Germany because of how uh, how intense German fans are. You know, it's always German football has always been political. You're free to speak as much as you want. You're free to speak about what you want. And uh, Leipzig, they sort of try to silence those voices. You know, we've seen it in recent years where Leipzig try to silence their fans from speaking out against uh, homophobia or speaking out against social issues. And they've been criticized for that heavily. So it's not just that the, the hatred towards Leipzig was from the start. You know, Leipzig have found ways to continue that hatred by doing what they do. They do very anti, anti-German football things. So, um, yeah, you know, we, as I said earlier, it's, it's the rules they, they found a way around and, and the way they are, you know, having a fixed identity, you know, wearing the same kits and the same colours as three other clubs around the world and having those that sort of unfair advantage, it sort of builds this hatred against them. So I'm not very surprised that German football fans have kept this intensity and I think it's going to last them for, for a very long time. That's interesting. Just expand further on what you said about what they've done since their inception and our ongoing policy of doing anti-German football things. I mean, silencing the fans, that, that's, a, that's extremely anti-German. Yeah. So, so just can you give me a little bit more detail? And if you've got further examples, that'd be great too. Yeah. So in, for example, um, in 2019, I think it was a very long time ago, but in 2019, um, there was a game between RB Leipzig's women's team and another women's team. I can't remember what the name was, but um, uh, they had a game then the fans spoke out um, against uh, homophobia and they spoke for um, LGBTQ rights. The very next week, um, the Upper, upper hierarchy, I'd be like to see the club CEO and the directors of the club. Um, they said that we don't want to see such political messages at our club, and you know, the stadium is not the place for it. That's a, a big sin in German football. You don't do that as a German football club. You know, you give fans the freedom to say what they want to do, uh, to say what they want to say, and get, let, let them do what they want to do. And you know, sort of silencing that didn't go down very well. And uh, not very long after that, a fan group of RB Leipzig, one of the oldest fan groups. They dissolved. They didn't. They stopped. They stopped existing. They shut down their operations, and um, that didn't go down very well because they, because the general perception was that the club may have forced them to to, to shut down. Um, it's not proven yet how they shut down or why they shut down because they didn't release they didn't release a very detailed statement. But yeah, it, it felt that one, that was one of the reasons that because these fans were being silent being silenced or being asked to keep quiet about social issues, um, they were forced to shut down. So. You know, that sort of thing doesn't go down very well. And it is a very anti-German football thing, as I mentioned earlier. Now, obviously, the way that RB Leipzig came into existence, Dietrich Marteschitz took over a fifth-tier club, took over their license, and as you said, rebranded them, invested in them, et cetera, et cetera. So how have they grown off the pitch? I mean, I've seen the attendances grow. Um, I think it was 40,000 they were averaging in the last non-COVID affected season. And they've been talking about building bigger and bigger stadiums. So, you know, albeit the rest of Germany doesn't like them, internally, how have the locals around that area taken them on board? Is it a little bit of no one likes us, we don't care kind of thing? Or have they struggled for crowds? Um, that is a, a, a small case where a large part of the state doesn't like them. You know, they're based in Saxony. They're based in Leipzig, where there are three, well, two other clubs, uh, Kimi and Lok Leipzig, who are who play in the fourth division, but they're quite popular in 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 the area itself because they have a strong history. You know, Lok Leipzig played in the European Cup a couple of a couple of decades ago, and they beat a couple of big teams. Um, but so that there is a bit of football history in the city itself. So when RB Leipzig came around, um, there was a bit of hatred towards them. But because Kimi and Lok Leipzig were playing in the fourth division and they were struggling in the third and fourth division at the time, there were certain people that welcomed the presence of RB Leipzig because, firstly, Leipzig had a big stadium, um, the Central Stadion, which was built which was built a very long time ago and was used for the World Cup in 2006. Um, that stadium didn't have a tenant because the fourth division clubs couldn't afford having or, or playing in that stadium. So they had a big stadium in the city that was being unused. And um, secondly... Leipzig is a pretty popular German football city and the, the city needed a top-tier club to play in the Bundesliga and perhaps play in Europe. And RB Leipzig were willing to give them that with the investment. So a small portion of people in the city welcomed them and welcomed uh, Red Bull's presence. And Red Bull delivered on their promise by you know taking the club from the fifth division to the first division and ultimately the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, as I said, the, the, state, the city was welcoming 
Um, and in the book, I mentioned that um, the other two clubs in Leipzig, Kimi and Locke, who are the original two clubs and have a very fierce rivalry in German football, they weren't very happy to have them. They don't see RB Leipzig as their main rivals. They don't they don't care about Leipzig's presence. They only care about each other. So, you know, if you're a Locke Leipzig fan, you won't be saying that RB Leipzig are our rivals. Or if you play them, you won't say it's a domestic rivalry because they don't feel like rivals. They, they feel inorganic. But if you play Kimi Leipzig, you have decades and decades of history. You have decades and decades of rivalry. So, um, yeah, you will feel that sort of animosity towards Kimi or Locke, but you won't feel the same hatred towards RB because of how inorganic RB are. Locke Leipzig have the colours of their state, Saxony. Kimi Leipzig have the colours of their city, um, Leipzig. And RB Leipzig have the colours of Red Bull. So, you know, it's not gone down very well. <laughs> Is there another dynamic here? And when I was researching the book one thing i didn't realize of course leipzig is in the former east germany that has less financial resources to fund a successful club so is there a little bit of hangover from uh, previous emotions uh, an anti-east german feel that uh, that is also coming into play here? i'm not saying that's the whole thing but you know it, are they seen as an east german upstart as well as a a financially doped upstart, to use Arsene Wenger's phrase. It's not really an animosity towards e of the old Eastern Germany. It's just because they were in the old Eastern Germany, that part of Germany is quite underfunded and still is struggling with um, struggling to compete with the Western teams. You know, Western clubs are Bayern, Dortmund, Stuttgart, whoever, and they're quite strong. But Eastern Germany didn't have a top top football club um, after unification. So you know because. Red Bull were willing to offer Eastern Germany a top-level club in, Leipz in RB Leipzig. Um, people were happy to take them on board and they felt that sort of emotion towards the club because they were in the area. But there is no such animosity towards all Eastern clubs. You know, they play football as it is. Germany is quite united post the unification. They don't have that sort of animosity towards all Eastern Germany. Um, but, but yeah, that, that emotion created by Eastern Germany not having a top-level club um, was was a big factor in swaying a lot of fans. And even now, you see players from Eastern Germany going towards the West to make their careers. So now Eastern Germany won't lose their best talent and they can keep it to themselves and have have them progress at Eastern German clubs. So, yeah. And then another reason why they get a lot of stick is because they've been successful, right? That's that's the other yeah. thing. That, that, um, yeah. And how much has one figure, which is um, Ralph Ranierick, been central to that and what are the what's his ethos you know what what principles has he used to create a success with a new club i mean just because they've got money doesn't mean you're successful there's a whole heap of of unsuccessful clubs that have finances you look at barcelona at the moment they've always had money right it doesn't mean they win everything every year um so ralph ranieri why is he successful um, yeah, Ralf Ranić is one of the most uh, influential people in German football, not just in Red Bull football. And he is a very despised character himself. He has a fair share of, of haters for the clubs he's worked for and the way he works. Um, but he is undoubtedly the most important person in Red Bull's football uh, empire. You know, before he arrived, Red Bull Salzburg were winning trophies, but they weren't um, didn't didn't have a long term vision. RB Leipzig were struggling in the third and fourth division. They weren't able to go up despite having all that money. <clears throat> the other two clubs in New York and Brazil, they were at their level. They weren't really exceeding expectation. But when Ralph Rennig arrived, he not only brought in a firm football philosophy, he also brought in a firm uh, business philosophy for the long term. So for the next 10 years, not just the next one, one year. Yeah, his, his style of football was to play with this high intensity, high aggressive way where they press high up the pitch and, you know, they, they don't give the opposition much time on the ball. <clears throat> but off, off the pitch itself, he has this philosophy of the three Cs, which is capital, concept and competence. Now, capital is he wants his clubs to be self-sustainable. He wants the, these clubs to um, spend the money they earn rather than be funded purely by all the riches they have. Obviously, he has a big advantage by, by being funded by Red Bull. Um, but he wants his clubs to be self-sufficient, which he in time did. Um, you know, they sell players for big money. You see it nowadays with Dario Pumcano or Timo Werner, where they sell these players for big fees. 
Um, concept is the playing style, which, as I mentioned, is the high intensity, high pressing style, which is the way all Red Bull clubs play, all four of them. And um, competence is what the players and staff must bring, you know, the desire to succeed, the willingness to reach the next level and be as good as they can. So those three C's or the three K's in German football, or in German, sorry, um, are, are integral to what Ralf Rangnick does. And um, yeah, he is, as I said earlier, the most important person in Red Bull's football empire. And without him, I I think they'd still be stronger. I think that Leipzig would reach the Bundesliga, but they wouldn't be as good as they are. They wouldn't. Ever since they've reached the Bundesliga, they've qualified for Europe in every season. So I don't think that would have been possible without Ralf Rangnick and his influence. And also, they seem to have um, mined successfully for gold in Africa. Um, it seems to be part of their success. Mane, Keita, players like that. So, you know, yet again, a lot of clubs, organisations have tried to do that without the success that RB Leipzig have had. Yeah, they have good links in Africa and they've, they've formed that ever since Ralf Rangnick came in. You know, Gerard Houllier um, was was the direct the head of global football in 2012 and he joined with Ralph Ranick. So Gerard Hulia had good contacts in um in France and in Africa where he 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 built a he built a firm scouting network there in those countries around Mali, around Zambia, around uh, the Ivory Coast, etc. And they were able to get the best talent, the best agents there. And ever since then, ever since uh, Gerard Hulia had a, a lesser role lesser role in the Red Bull football family. They've they've continued that by hiring the best scouts and the best agents to work in those areas. You know they formed links with Twelve Management, who which is an agency run by uh, Frederick Canute, and Twelve Management scouts the best players in Zambia and in Mali, and they bring those players over to Europe. You know Patson Daka and Inokomwepu, who now play for Red Bull Salzburg, were from Twelve Management, and they came through the ranks in Zambia, and Red Bull found them quite early. But Red Bull, they also try to form links with. Um, families of, of players, you know, you can't transfer players until a certain age. You can't transfer them abroad. You, they can't go to Europe until they're, um, I think, 18 years old. So they try to form links with the family and try to build good relationship and tell them where the players are going to go and how they're going to develop in the coming years. So if the player is underage, they form good links with the family until he's off age so that when the time comes, they can transfer him over to Europe. So it, it's a very long-term thing that they do and they try to find the best players that they can. It's not just about talent itself for them. It's about mentality and the willingness and desire to grow and be as good as they can. And does that pl- apply across all the teams? Because you talked about the, the amount of transfers um, that have gone between the teams and you've talked about the playing philosophy, the actual on, on-pitch on playing philosophy. But in, in what other ways, apart from what you've just spoken about, is there a, a common philosophy across all the clubs? Yeah, there is. It's, it's a common idea of playing. Um, you know, the coaches themselves can can tweak it a little bit based on what players they have and how experienced the coaches themselves are. But the idea must be the same across all clubs, which is to uh, play with verticality and play um, with intensity. That is how Ralf Rangnick um, used to manage when he was uh, a manager himself at his in his younger years. And that's how he's developed the philosophy uh, ever since then. Um, so all, all four clubs play that way and every Red Bull, every Red Bull youth team or women's team plays in that way so that it becomes easier when players transfer between them. You know, we've seen players like Tyler Adams go from New York to Leipzig and they've adapted almost seamlessly. We've seen about 20-odd transfers from from Salzburg to Leipzig and they adapt pretty easily. And we've seen Jesse Marsh, who's coached uh, three different Red Bull clubs in New York and Salzburg and, and assistant to Leipzig. And he's adapted easily at, at all three of them because of that firm uh, playing philosophy that's instilled in all the players and his staff. So even when you're a younger player going in from a country in Africa to Austria and you're taught that way from the age of 16, 17, 18, it becomes easy for you to go from the youth team to the senior team and not have that struggle of adapting because you know the place, you know the, the, the style of football, you know the coaches quite well. So yeah, that, that, that is, it is a big benefit to have a, a, an identical uniform playing style uh, between all clubs. It was interesting with Jesse Marsh because obviously he was an um, important figure in US soccer in MLS when I was working in MLS for a couple of years. And one thing that, that MLS coaches have always struggled to do is move into Europe. And so it's seen as a feather in the cap for MLS that he was able to do it and have significant success. But of course, the New York Red Bulls fans are saying, well, hang on, he left when we were top of the supporter shield, I think it was, and certainly yep. mid-season. So... Has there been this, the feeling 
And of course, he's going to be, he's leaving head coach at the Red Bulls to join Leipzig as assistant coach. So it's a, it's a, a bigger club, but a step down. Is there a feeling that Leipzig have, uh, even though I think they were the, the last team to come into the group, they're actually the jewel in the crown and they're sucking the resources out of the, of the other ones who are now feeder clubs? There is a feeling that Leipzig are number one and it is quite justified because Leipzig play in the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga is the most popular league out of all the leagues at Red Bull and Walden. You know, the, the MLS doesn't get as much attention as the Bundesliga and neither does the Austrian Bundesliga. So it, it seems pretty natural that the German team would get the most resources, the most attention and the most, you know, they, they try to bring the best players or the best resources over to, to Germany to, to aid them. And it has paid off in a way and I don't think it's going to reduce any time in the future. Red Bull aren't going to say that, you know, just because a couple of fans feel bad, we're going to change how we do our work. Tyler Adams is a perfect example. He joined New York when he was a kid, the New York Red Bulls as a kid, went through the academy system, which is a very refined system on its own. He excelled as a player, played for the first, played for the youth teams, played for the first teams, and then he moved to Leipzig and he scored the most important goal in their history so far, which was in the Champions League quarterfinal. So Red Bull won't see it as being a bit of injustice towards the other club. They'd see it as a, a positive thing, whereas where their system is working and their best players from their system are coming to Leipzig and helping them succeed. They see Red Bull clubs as a family, all four of them. They don't see it as, you know, one club in New York or one club in Leipzig. So because it's working for them, they won't change it or they won't break it anywhere and they'd want it to continue in the future. So while fans may feel a bit of injustice that their best players go at their peak, you know, Marsh was a perfect example when he left when they were about to win another trophy. Um, lots of Salzburg players, Dominic Schabersleif, for example, left in the winter of this season when they were in a good position to do well in the Europa League. And he went to Leipzig. So they, they, they do feel a bit of injustice, but it is what it is in the end. Leipzig are the most popular club and the club with the most, the biggest chance to, exceed, to succeed in the Champions League. So they will want to feed Leipzig the most. Your book, Winds of Change, I'm going to put that on my show notes, all the links across it. It's available on Amazon as well. Get that advert in there for you. But how did they react to your book? Obviously, you're trying to tell the story about them. Presumably, you contacted them for access and interviews and things like that. So, you know, how do they feel about your book and how do they generally, the group and Leipzig in particular, react to the criticism? I don't know how they reacted to my book, actually, because they never contacted me. Um, I tried to reach them when I was writing the book right at the start, but they said they weren't interested in doing any interviews or anything like that because um, they are generally a very closed club. They don't, they don't give access to the media very often. I assume because, um, because of the risk of criticism being thrown at them and the fact that they're giving the press a free, a free pass to go and criticize them. Um, you know, I've spoken to many journalists over the last one or two years and they've all said to me very similar things that Leipzig and all Red Bull clubs don't give that much access unless you are you know, a significant organization with a significant story to tell. But but yeah, I don't know how they must have reacted to my book. I'm pretty sure that one or two of them must have seen it. I'm, I'm confident of that. Um, but um, from a general press perspective, it's it's sort of, it is what it is in the end for them. You know, Leipzig, they will be criticized for what they do and if they look at the criticism, they'll be stuck in it forever. They'll be focusing on it forever. So they just go on doing what they do. They are who they are. They don't care about the other media. If they got their fans and if their project is working well, if they're, if they're winning games and eventually winning trophies, I don't think they care much about what the press has to say about them. Do you make any comparisons with Manchester City? There's significant differences, of course, because you talked about um, Ranjik's, uh philosophy on being self-sustaining. And I think Manchester City are very much supported and yeah that's fine that's that that that's part of the game but do you see a connection in the artificial injection of money into football there is uh, quite a few similarities between them you know even though one is owned by a state um by a state itself and one is owned by a private company um it, it is what modern football is now isn't it because football in time, it can be a profitable thing. It, in time, it can be seen as a bit of sports washing where they want to uh, sort of improve their image. You know, you, the UAE has a pretty concerning human rights record and that's been that's been spoken about quite often over the years. So they probably see football as a way of sort of cleansing that image. And the same for Red Bull, where they have had uh, dodgy histories in the past, especially Dietrich Manischitz, who's been uh, 
a popular right-wing commentator on, on certain things. So they, they do see football as a way to cleanse their image and, and cleanse what they do. So, yeah, uh, there is a similarity in that sense. And football-wise, they're completely different with the, with the way they play and the way they, they manage themselves and the people they have in charge. You know, City and the City Football Group are more of a Spanish thing. They have a, a greater Spanish influence with Chiqui Bergenstein and, and Ferran Soriano, whereas Red Bull are more... German and in the in their German side of play with Ralph Rangnick and and the rest of the crew they have, but um, from a greater from from an off the pitch perspective they are indeed very uh, very similar. And they're called a plastic club, right? Because they're selling their products. And I know there is a difference here, but if I was if I was Red Bull, I'd be there thinking, well, hang on, Fiat have been backing Juve forever. You know, VW have been backing Wolfsburg for seventy odd years. Buyer of backed by a Leverkusen for years, PSV and Philips. Yes, there's differences. And I know they're allowed in German football because the relationship has been a, a lot longer, 70 years or whatever it is. But are we talking about shades of grey of difference here? You know, is, is OK, you know, Leipzig are a little bit more full on in the marketing, but they've still got huge backing from uh, a corporate body. Uh, is there a little bit of... Uh, is there a little bit of football snobbery around this? I don't think there is. I think the thing that you mentioned the examples of Fiat Neue and, and uh, Wolfsburg and Volkswagen, um, but I feel that Red Bull, being a foreign owner, real foreign foreign company, really sort of sways the, the the perception of them. You know, Red Bull, an Austrian company, and they invest in German German football, and the same in New York and, and Brazil. So they are seen as a bit of bit of a plastic club because of that and this, as you mentioned their spending has been more brazen than the others you know it's not normal to have a club go from the fifth division to the first division and eventually the Champions League in six or seven years so that sort of thing because it's, because they're so successful it really annoyed a lot of people so it didn't go down very well with that um, but I don't see a bit of snob I think it's pure, perfectly justified to not like them and you know especially with Leipzig as I mentioned earlier, the fifty plus one rule. When, once you get it, once you find a way around that, you will you're inviting the sort of dislike towards you and the sort of feeling of wanting to despise them. So it, it is perfectly justified. I don't I don't feel it's fair to compare them to a Juventus or a PSV or whoever in that regard. Do you think the fact that they don't have the history, obviously they got the financial and injection, that but that but that's allowed them to innovate in ways that sort of more established clubs with a different story can't, you know, it's allowed them to move very quickly. You said they've gone from where they've gone, uh, fifth tier of German football to sort of quarterfinals of the, of the Champions League in five or six years because they have a singular figure at their head with uh, significant investment, of course, which is crucially important, and a visionary in Vanyarek. Those circumstances has actually allowed them to move a lot quicker, and of course, they're not burdened by expectation and uh, stories and the fans criticizing them, and that's sort of, that sort of uh, um, uh, weight that that can often pull down a club. Yeah, you're right. You know, you take the example of other German clubs. You take Schalke, for example, right now, who are rock bottom of the league. They have about two hundred and fifty odd million euros of debt. You take clubs like Hamburg and Kaiserslautern, who've had Who've, who've been relegated in recent years and they've struggled to come back up. And they are historical clubs. You know, Hamburg did never got relegated in their, in their history. All of a sudden, they're unable to come back up for the last three or four years. If you look at Leipzig and the way they've risen, as I mentioned earlier, no other club has that sort of money. They spent over 150 odd million euros to make it from the bottom to the top. They took over a club that was averaging about 200, 300 fans. You know, Markenstedt were a fifth division club, a village club that nobody really cared about. You know, nobody cared if they stopped existing. And they took them and went all the way up. So it, it was a very unnatural rise that people didn't seem to appreciate. All the success was was pretty expected considering the way they were spending. And that sort of sisterhood they built with the other clubs in, in the Red Bull family, you know, Salzburg and New York, the way they were able to trade players so freely, you know, going from the Austrian Bundesliga, the first division, to go and play in the third division in German football, it's not fair to the other clubs, is it? So that sort of thing didn't go down very well. And, you know, it, it is perfectly normal. I, I do expect the hatred towards them to grow. You know, I think maybe 40, 50 years from now, when Leipzig are an older club, if they, if they're still existing, if, if Leipzig are an older club, 
with a bit of history, their presence in German football would be more accepted. But right now, it's perfectly normal to see the 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 hatred they get. Would that feeling around them affect their ability to get into a European Super League? Because that's what's being talked about at the moment, and we don't know we don't know how it's going to work out. But it's they're talking about thirty two teams in a European Super League, and that would assume five or six German clubs, four, four or five six German clubs say. Well, in terms of on-pitch performance in the last couple of years, Red Bull would be one of them. In terms of longevity, history, the brand around German football, maybe not so much. But you think they've, they've got a strong case uh, because some of this might be determined not on on-pitch performance, but by uh, long-term history. Yeah, they're talking about clubs like Arsenal, for example, who haven't been in the Champions League for a fair amount of time, but would be involved in a European Super League. Okay, because of the clout that they bring and obviously probably the, t- the TV viewers, let's be honest as well. Have RB Leipzig done enough to get in? And if they didn't get in, it'd be hugely controversial, I would think. I think they will get in. I think that if they don't get in, they will be um, fairly despised once again of being the top club in German football. They will eventually become the top because Bayern and, and Dortmund are gone. But, but I think they will be uh, they will be there in the end because of the, the brand they bring in and the clout they bring in, you know. We've seen City will pro- Manchester City will probably be in, and 20 years ago they were playing in the second division. So it is that sort of thing that they bring in the right TV money, they bring the right amount of money, and they bring the right amount of clout to the league. Uh, and Leipzig would certainly be there because of who they are. You know, Red Bull is a pretty big, pretty big popular brand, and um, they've done fairly well in the league itself. You know, every season since they they reached the Bundesliga, they've played in European football, they've played in the Champions League or the Europa League. So. From a football-wise, they probably would be in. From a brand-wise, they probably would be in. Historically, they don't have much history. They've been It's a club about 12, 13 years old now. So, yeah, I think that it, it wouldn't stop them from being in the, Euro, in the European Super League for sure. And if the league does come to fruition, they, they will be right amongst it. Obviously, Red Bull was co-founded by Dietrich Mateschitz. Um, but along with someone whose name I can't necessarily pronounce, uh, who comes from Thailand. Um, One thing that's missing, I suppose, from the Red Bull football family is an Asian interest. You know, you look at most of these football groups that are growing up now, one of the boxes that they would definitely tick off, along with America, would be Asia. Um, Why has that not happened? And is it ever likely to happen? Personally, I'm quite surprised it hasn't happened yet. I felt that it would seem like the ideal move to make because of their Asian history. Um, they have had a few Asian players in the past. You know, Huang plays for Leipzig and previously played for Salzburg and Takumi Minamino played for Salzburg as well before going to Liverpool. But apart from that, um, they haven't had much of an Asian heritage. Um, I think that in time, they will have a, an Asian club to form links with. Perhaps not a Red Bull club, you know, per se. We won't have a Red Bull Yokohama or whatever. Um, but they will have some sort of club to form links with in a developmental capacity. And a couple of months ago, when they formed a link with an Indian club, FC Goa, they, they, the head of global soccer, Oliver Minslav, said that they were looking for international uh, links, you know, to, to, to have more links in, with clubs abroad. So, I mean, I imagine that Asia, in particular, a Japanese or South Korean club would be targeted. In that regard, you know, Japan's always open to investment. We've seen the City Football Group invest there, and um, I think I think that Red Bull will make a move in Japan very soon. And I think that they want to form more academies in perhaps Thailand or or Japan or South Korea, just so they can boost their brand. And Red Bull itself, as I mentioned earlier, Red Bull is quite popular in those countries. Obviously, it was founded there, and the Far East is one of the biggest consumers of Red Bull. So, I think that they will try to enhance and build on that try to form a, a big link in Asian football. Has the Red Bull experiment, football experiment, to use that phrase again, has that inspired other people? Because we're seeing more of these groups grow. And City Football Group has always been seen as the model for this. Um, but obviously, as you say, that's kind of state-backed. The Red Bull Football Group is backed by an energy drink. Has anyone tried to copy the Red Bull side of that? In your in your experience, in your knowledge, there has been rumours of Liverpool's owner um, John W. Henry wanting to form uh, something similar, a global network of clubs. Um, 
with, uh, I think the investment company was called Red Ball, um, which sounds quite similar. Um, I, I, I don't know much about it, but uh, I did read that they were planning to do something like that. I don't think it's going to happen very soon, but I imagine that this is the way of the future because of how how beneficial and how profitable it is. As I mentioned earlier, the sports washing link is one of them. It's, it's a big link for um, uh, for, for people to work on. They'd want to cleanse their image if they've done something dodgy in the past. So they see football as a way of doing that. Other than that, it can be quite profitable. It takes a while to to make money and you know sort of earn a firm profit. And Red Bull still have a bit of trouble in that. But it, it is more beneficial money-wise than it is not beneficial. So I imagine that this is the way of the future. It's still quite a young thing to do where franchise football, as it's called, is, is not very popular yet. I imagine PSG will want to do it at some point because they see how beneficial it is by looking at the city football group. I think that they'll want to form an international league with a couple of clubs. So, yeah, that, that is how football is and how it's going and how eventually in time it is what football will become. I know you're, you're a football journalist and the RB Football Experiment, I'm sure that's the RB Football Group. It's worked in terms of footballing success, I would think, and certainly if you look at Leipzig, where they've, where they've gone. Has it worked on the other side? Has it worked on the on the Red Bull marketing and promotion and growing that brand side? Because that's what they're criticised for, right? With this particular method of uh, of marketing, well, has it actually worked? Help grow the brand. There isn't a firm number to suggest that it has, but based on data from twenty nineteen, um, which was the last time data was released officially, I think that the twenty twenty numbers are not in yet, but based on 2019 data, I saw that the Red Bull was being sold in these countries far more than, than it was before. Um, you know, countries like Germany and Brazil and um, the USA, sales had improved quite drastically. It was about 10, 15% from the previous year. So I imagine there is some impact that football has made. I, I, you can't say directly that, you know, because of these football clubs, Red Bull has been sold more. But I imagine that it has a role to play because of how Red Bull sort of brand uh, what they do. If you go to a game of, of Leipzig or, or, or Salzburg or New York or anyone, you'd see their, their banners everywhere. You see their logo on the sponsorship boards, on, on the team shirts, on everything. So it, I imagine it would have some say, not not a big say, but it would have a, a, some influence on, on how Red Bull is sold around the world. And the numbers are there to back up that wherever Red Bull clubs are based, sales are improving. So I think it's, it's justifiable to say that, yeah. You talked about potential Asia expansion. What else do you think is in the sort of 10-year future of the RB football experiment, using that phrase yet again? For Leipzig, I think that they'd want to win a trophy. I think the main ambition would be to win a trophy because they haven't got a major trophy just yet. Um, you know the Bundesliga this season is is possible. I don't think I don't think they'll do it, but it is possible. And the DFB Pokal, where they are in the semi final, it's their best chance of winning that first major trophy. So just to sort of legitimise what they're doing in Leipzig, they need that trophy. Even though they reached the Champions League semi final last year, they'd want to win a trophy to sort of prove to people that they are here for the long term and they want to be as successful as they can be. But from a, a greater footballing perspective, I think that. They'd want to grow their brand as much as they can. As I mentioned earlier, they, they, they've formed links in India and they'd want to do that in the Far East. I think that they will form more developmental uh, links in the future where they tie up with certain clubs and you know they sort of exchange resources, exchange training ideas, exchange methods, and sort of build that Red Bull way of football around the world so that they can bring the best players over to Leipzig or Salzburg and sort of diversify uh, their player rosters. So I think that that's... In the long run, off the pitch, that is what they'd want to do. And it's been backed up by statements as well. They've said that they want to grow as much as they can around the world and expand the Red Bull way. But I, I would be very surprised if they start off with another European club. You know, in the past, they've had problems with UEFA and their concept of interest um, regulations. So I, I don't think that they'd want to make another Red Bull club around anywhere around Europe. They wouldn't be a Red Bull, you know, for example, Red Bull London or whatever. Um, but around the world, that there certainly is potential for them to do what they want to do and build that Red Bull way. And just finally, 
what would the reaction be in Germany if Red Bull Leipzig won the Champions League? Awful. <laughs> I think that they'd be more despised than ever before. There'd be enough problems if they win the Bundesliga. Um, apart from their own fans, I don't think that there would be much happiness. I've heard people say that they'd much rather watch Bayern Munich win another 10 or 15 league titles than watch RB Leipzig win even one of them. So that statement on its own says that, you know, Leipzig winning is not acceptable in this country. If they win the Champions League, which is a big ask, I, I don't think that many people would pay attention to it. I don't think that they'd get, they'd get the credit that a Champions League winner gets or commands or whatever. While some people would be angry about it, I, I don't think there'd be a big protest or whatever, but there would be a sort of greater dislike towards what they do and this feeling that they're an unorganic plastic test tube football club, whatever they want to call it, will increase and there will be more banners, more chants, more, more abuse thrown at games. More fans will not want to attend, but, but that is how it is in, in German football, that if they, become, if they win the biggest trophy there is, there would be a great amount of dislike going towards them. Karen Tazrani, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.